was during the same time as Ezra, uh, chronologically, they were uh, contemporaries, and also Malachi was uh, during this time. It was shortly after the time of uh, Daniel and um, the three Hebrew boys, and we know of those stories. And uh, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, is on the throne at this time. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nehemiah, I'm going to get that name mixed up today, I can already tell it. Nehemiah is a a great encouragement to me uh, over the years. It's been amazing to me. Because as we look through Scripture, uh, if you get to like the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 11, we call it the Hall of Faith. And you hear of these great, great men and women of faith who did great works. And you see, uh, if you take time to read through Judges, and you see all the Judges that God brought to Israel for their deliverance, and you begin to look at some of the uh, the priests and some of the apostles that were so well used. I think of Samuel and the great priest that he was. I look at Moses, the great leader, and, and uh, I look at uh, many of the apostles. And uh, they were all called by God to do a particular work. The interesting thing to me about Nehemiah is he's not a priest. And he's not a prophet. He's simply just a man that God was able to use. And I think sometimes, I know I remember growing up in, in a pastor's home, and I think sometimes we get in our mind that God can't use us because we're not, we're not a, a particular uh, type of person or we're not special enough to be used. Can I tell you this? God can use anybody. And God does oftentimes. In fact, <laughs> I'll tell you, this gives me hope. Because God says that He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And uh, He's chosen the weak things of the world. Uh, and those are the vessels that God can use. And so Nehemiah is nothing more than a willing vessel. And uh, we learned last week that he heard the news of the uh, walls and the temple and the city being burned, uh, destroyed and the gates burned with fire in Jerusalem. His heart was broken for that and, and really more so for the reproach that it was bringing uh, in the eyes of the world about the God of Israel. That, that broke his heart. It also broke his heart about the sin and the condition of his nation. And we saw a prayer from verse number 5 in chapter 1 uh, down through the end in verse number 11. Uh, we saw the prayer that Nehemiah prays. Again, one of the great, great things I find in this chapter is a spirit of humility. When Nehemiah comes to God and he prays for his nation, he starts by saying, Lord, forgive me and forgive the sins of my father and in my family. And then he begins to pray for the sins of Israel. And I think so often, if we're not careful, we, we will do this. I catch myself doing this. If we're not careful, we'll look at our country and we'll, we'll pray uh, for some of our leaders sometimes. We'll say, oh Lord, uh, help the wickedness of our country and uh, forgive the sins of this country. And, and, but, but we haven't started where Nehemiah started. And uh, I find that very encouraging, very convicting sometimes. Because I think we all have that tendency. We see a fault in our country. We see a direction that's going and we begin to pray and we ought to pray. And uh, yet we don't look the right place first. And uh, I'm thankful that Nehemiah went to God first for the answer. He was sorrowful. He doesn't go to the king first, even though he's the king's cupbearer. We're going to see that today in just a moment. He doesn't go to the king first. He goes to God first. 
You're going to find Nehemiah does this as a matter of principle and character. Because we don't just find Nehemiah doing this in chapter number 1, but you'll find Nehemiah doing this throughout the book of Nehemiah. As we get to chapter number 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and he took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then was I very sore afraid. It's an interesting phrase in verse number 2 that he was very sore afraid. And it, you, for us to understand that, that uh, part of that verse, it's helpful to understand uh, what the, the law of the Medes and the Persians were with regards to being in the presence of the king. Those that served in his chamber and in the place where his, his throne was, uh, we're not allowed to have the um, spirits that were down or sad sadness in this presence. And the law was that if you came to the king and you were in a negative way or you were in a, uh, a saddened state or you were in a griping and complaining state, he would he would literally kill you for that. It was a death penalty to be before the king with a countenance of sorrow. And so when the king noticed this about Nebuchadnezzar, or I'm going to say Nebuchadnezzar all day long. If I say Nebuchadnezzar, put Nehemiah there. I don't know why I'm getting this brain freeze today. When Nehemiah stands before the king and his countenance is down, he says, I've never, he said, I've never before been sad in the, in the presence of the king. He, he said, when the king saw it and, as, and asked him, why is your countenance falling? He says, then was I very sore afraid. I mean, this wasn't a fear of, well, I might have disappointed the king. This was a fear of, I might lose my life here. I think this is an interesting thing, that not only was it the law of the king, but Nehemiah had a testimony of this. That the king had never before seen Nehemiah in such a state, whether in his presence or out of his presence. I can imagine if the king was walking down the hall of the palace one day and Nehemiah passes by him, that, that it's noted here that he had never before in the presence of the king been sad. Can I tell you this? There's an importance that ought to be given to the testimony of each and every Christian. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he gets to the similitudes, he says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. The Bible says it this way, cannot be hid. That, that ought to be convicting to us. It, 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 the, the other similitudes he gives, he says, he, he refers to us as salt. And he talks about, well, but if a salt has lost its savor, uh, wherewith can things be salted? It's good for nothing. You know, he talks about casting it underfoot. Uh, and he gives the idea of salt that has lost its savor. And then he talks about uh, a candle uh, that is put in a house and it gives light to the whole house. But if it's put under a bushel or under a shade, that it doesn't give that light out. But the thing about the city that is set on a hill... Everybody sees it. It cannot be hid. And your testimony will always be seen by a lost world, whether it's a good testimony or whether it's a bad testimony. And that ought to be something that is convicting to us as Christians. Some people say, well, I'm going to live my life and I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Oh, yes, you are. You are. Because you're an ambassador for Christ. You're the only thing that this world can put their eyes on physically and see that points them to Christ. 
For somebody to say, I am a Christian, you take the name of Christ and you go into a lost world and you say, I am a Christian, and they look at you, do they see Him? Nehemiah had never before time been sad in the presence of the king. That's a great testimony. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of you and I when we get to the end of our life, never before were we seen with our countenance fallen. Never before were we seen with a testimony that was tarnished and stained before this world. Artaxerxes, I believe, was a, 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 a man who knew who God was. We said last week he's a direct descendant from Esther, if you remember the story of Esther. I believe that he was taught who God was, the God of the Israelites. I would go so far as to say he even had respect unto God. I don't know if I can say from Scripture that he was putting his faith in God, but he certainly knew who he was. And Nehemiah was a testimony to him of that great God. As you and I are a testimony, when we walk out those doors, you're a testimony to the world. By the way, you're a testimony on this side of those doors too. To each other, to one another. I love this thing about Nehemiah and his testimony. He gets down to verse number uh, 3. And the Bible says, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my countenance be sad? Uh, why should not my countenance be sad? I'm sorry. When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lie waste, and their gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? And I want you to notice this. What is the next phrase that is given in your Scripture in verse number 4? So I prayed to the king. Is that what it says? Now, if you have a King James Bible, what does it say? It says, I prayed to what? Now, now didn't we see this already in chapter 1? The first place Nehemiah turns to, the king comes to him. He says, okay, your, your sadness is there. Why are you sad? He tells him why. And the king says, okay, what do you want me to do about this? And I want you to notice something, that all through this story that, that the Bible gives us about Nehemiah, Nehemiah never puts his dependence on Artaxerxes. Not one time. When the king says, what can I do for you? Nehemiah's response was, let me go and pray to my God. He's the place that I'm going to get my answer from. He's the place that's going to give me direction. He's the place that I'm going to go to get the supply that I need. The Bible says in verse number four, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse number four. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king. So after he had gone to God, then he says, "Okay, here's what I'm going to ask the king for." He says, "If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it." And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set, I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over until I come unto Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace." which uh, appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, are you noticing this? The king granted me according to the good hand of what? My God upon me. Now, this is an amazing thing. 
Have you ever read the Bible and you've heard the story before and it doesn't really impress you because you already know what the outcome is? I mean, most of us already know what happens in Nehemiah. But think about this for a minute. Nehemiah, who is a captive in the land, he, he is the, the, the Israelites that were serving in the palace were the ones that had been carried off years earlier by Nebuchadnezzar into captivity. Their city had been destroyed, their city had been laid waste, and the, uh, they were put under subjection of the king. The king had rule over them, had them under his thumb. And, and Nehemiah is nothing more than a subject to the king, a servant to the king, and a captive of the nation of, of the, the Persians here. And he, he, he's the cupbearer, he, he's got a good testimony before the king, he has sadness, and the king says, what can I do for you? And, of course, we've seen that he prays to God, but this is amazing to me. After Nehemiah prayed to God, he just trusted that God was going to do the work. And when the king said, what can I do for you? If I had been there, I would have been nervous to even ask him, well, you know, could you maybe send a few dollars back to Jerusalem and maybe help the people there get on their feet? If it's not too much. I mean, this is the king of Persia. This is the guy who could literally kill Nehemiah for any reason almost, it seems like. And Nehemiah comes to him. He says, can I go and, and can I help rebuild the walls of the city? Now, that is a huge request because he's the servant of the king. He's the cupbearer of the king. And the cupbearer of the king was to serve the king and he was to eat the food and to drink the wine before the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. This, this was an important position that Nehemiah had with the king. And he's saying, I want to, I want to, go, I want to go for several months. I want to go for several, uh, a period of time. And I want to work on my city, my, the, the city that's been broken down, the city that was captured and, and that you've got under subjection that's supposed to be paying tribute to you. I want to go and I want to rebuild the walls. <laughs> it's not what you usually tell the captive king that's captured your city that you want to rebuild the city and the walls. But he was bold to ask that, wasn't he? He, didn't, he wasn't afraid at all. I mean, again, this fellow, he's no, he's no great priest. He's no great prophet. He's just a man that had followed what God wanted. And then, as if to make matters worse, I, I, I don't know about you, but if I was in that position, I'd be nervous to ask the king for anything. And if I did, I'd probably think, well, man, that's too much. If I ask him for this much, he's going to either kill me or laugh me out of here. But Nehemiah presses on, doesn't he? He said, furthermore, king, I want you to give me letters that will convey me. So people can't mess with me. They can't stop me. And when I get there, I'll have the authority of the king to do what I'm doing. He said, not only that, king, he said, I want you to give all of the materials. I want you to donate them. I want you to give them to us out of your forests. I want you to give us the materials that are going to be needed for the wall." Can I tell you this? When we pray to God and ask Him for things, oftentimes we ask very, very anemically in our praying. Have you ever noticed this? That when we ask God for something, whether it's great or small, and God meets that need or what we've prayed for, have you ever thought of this? God is not depleted in any way, shape, or form to meet that need. That's, that's an amazing thought. I was talking to somebody a while back that had a large, a large financial need. 
And uh, they said, boy, I don't know. I, it's just it's going to be, I don't know. That's a big prayer. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. For God to supply $5 or $5 billion makes no difference to Him because He is not depleted. When you know in faith what God has for you to do, pray for it. And do not be shy to ask Him for the needs. Nehemiah comes to the king after he's prayed. He said, not only do I want permission to go build this city back and refortify it, but I want you to prepare the way for me and give me your authority. And I want you to supply all the materials for it. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 8 as we get to the end of it. And the king granted me. I love this statement. Did, did Nehemiah have a good testimony before the king, yes or no? Sure he did. But that is not why the king granted him this. Look at what it says. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. The psalmist, in writing the Psalms, in Psalm 119, he says, deal bountifully with thy servant. And what David was saying by that, when he said, deal bountifully with thy servant, was, Lord, I don't want you to deal with me based on what I deserve or my merit. He said, I want you to deal with me out of your bounty. Can I tell you this? I'd far rather God deal with me from His bounty than from my goodness. Nehemiah had the great hand of his God upon him. And that's what caused the king to do this. Then came, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, and Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, uh, the Ammonite, heard of it. Uh, when they heard of it, I'm sorry. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Can I tell you this? Anytime we do God's work, there will be some opposition. There's going to be somebody out there that says, that person doesn't deserve what you're doing for them. <laughs> when we do something for someone, we should not do it because they deserve it. We should do it because God has shown us His grace. Those of us that have been forgiven much need to be able to forgive much. Those of us that have been given much need to give much. We don't do it for their sake. My son, when we had him, I named him Jonathan. Jonathan is uh, one of my heroes in Scripture. He's the son of King Saul. Jonathan was a man not perfect, but a man of character, a true friend. David loved him dearly. 
Jonathan was faithful to David, even when he knew that the kingdom had been taken out of his hand, he still remained a dear friend to David, knowing that David was going to take his rightful place on the throne. There's a lot of character in that. When Jonathan died, David went and began to look for the descendants of David. He found a young boy named Mephibosheth. When they fled the palace, and the king and Jonathan had been killed, the nursemaid had taken him and was running with him and fell and he became crippled. David found him and as was the custom of the day, many folks thought that when he found the descendants of the king, that he was going to slay them so they could never take the line of the kingdom again. But David takes Mephibosheth and he brings him into his house and sits him at his table and treats him like a son. Not because of what Mephibosheth did, but for Jonathan's sake. Can I tell you this? When I got saved, God took me into His family and sat me at the table and said, You're one of mine, not for your sake, but for the sake of my Son, Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful picture. What a wonderful picture. Nehemiah sees God's hand at work. He does some things and God blesses him according to the good hand of his God upon him. But when he starts working, and we're going to see this a little bit more next week when we get further into chapter 2 and 3, and into chapter 4 especially, he's going to have some opposition. He's going to have some opposition. And I want to encourage you. Uh, Anytime we start doing something for the Lord, we've been praying for God's power and revival. Rest assured, if that starts to happen here, there's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some things that Satan's going to throw our way to try to stop all of it. We've got to be so careful of that. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And uh, don't miss next week. We'll pick up there and move on. I love the study of Nehemiah. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it a blessing to us? I'll tell you, I love His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful uh, for the lessons that have learned. We're thankful that You've given us these wonderful uh, narratives of what took place. Lord, they have been such a a blessing to us as we've come through Genesis and most of uh, the book of Exodus now into Nehemiah. And uh, Lord, just seeing Your hand, Your gracious hand, so vividly at work. And Lord, not because Nehemiah deserved it, but because your hand was good upon him. Your grace that was given, unmerited favor. Lord, we rejoice in that because those of us gathered here today have tasted of that grace. We understand and know what it's like to have your provident hand upon us, to have your your blessings upon us. Not because of what we deserve, but simply because of your grace. I pray that you'll bless the services to follow. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit's power. I pray that you would give direction and guidance. 
And Lord, may you draw our hearts nearer and closer to you. And uh, that we would be, uh, as we leave here today, that we would be more of what we ought to be. Lord, bring conviction where it's needed. Bring encouragement where it's needed. Lord, strengthen our faith where it's needed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.